Welcome to Bonehead. I now, well, it's acquaintance, I know, but I'm hoping to build up a friendship with our guest today, the legendary creator of One <laughs> on Herb, the marvelous, I'm trying to work Marvel into this, Bo Smith. <laughs> go ahead try to Thank try you. to work in idw go for it yeah let's get some dc in there let's see how how far we can push joe to do this intro. I, yeah, the initialism is going to be a little bit of a bitch I just got to <laughs> it's going to be a little bit of a bitch so bo thank you so much before we get started i want to tell everybody that i had the pleasure of meeting you in huntington comic-con we, 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 you, you about, I don't know if you remember this, but it's about 10 minutes into it. You looked over at me and goes, you actually did research. <laughs> I don't expect well, you to remember that. It was, a, I, I, oh, no. I appreciate those things when people actually noticed that I, I did my job and then we hit it off. Okay. And that's, and I asked you the next day, if we, if you'd be on the show and thank you so much for doing it. And we pride ourselves in trying to ask a question that not everyone asks. And I'm trying to think of a way to put it. You'd be the second person I asked this, this question to. The other one was Robert Kurtzman, who works in movies. He's KMB, Kurtzman, Nicotero, Burger Effects. And he actually left KMB to go back to Ohio for his family. And I find it fascinating that you've never left Huntington. No, all 67 years of my sin-filled life has been right here. And uh, I was Huntington born and raised and last 35 years since I've actually been in the comic book business has been in Cerrito, West Virginia, which is a town of 1400 people. Right. So why? Because you will get to all of the different opportunities you've had to go do other things. You've lost jobs because you wouldn't move out of Huntington, right? Yeah. yeah. Why? Um, or West Virginia, I should say, I'm sorry. I, you know, to be honest with you, um, Big cities have always, uh, uh, I've been to all of them now, but, uh, but, you know, they scare me. I never have liked them. Uh, I just don't. I was, I grew up in the time when if you thought about New York, Chicago, you thought about getting mugged, uh, mm. you know, crime was pretty rampant back in the day. I'm sure it still is, but you couldn't go to Times Square back when I was a kid. I mean, it was a totally different thing than it is now. So that was a big part of the reason. Plus, all my family's here. All my friends are here. I like this area a lot, but, uh, and to be honest with you, until uh, I actually made a stab at it 35 years ago, you know, I, I didn't figure I'd ever write comics or be in it because you had to live basically in New York uh, to do that. And, you know, there was no technology then. Uh, you had a phone. In fact, I mean, one of the biggest thing, biggest deals I did in sixth grade, my mom and dad asked me what I wanted for my birthday. I told him I wanted to call Stan Lee and I just kept at him. You know, they want, you want a bike, you want a pony, you know, what's the deal? Uh, so I ended up getting to call Stan Lee in the sixth grade. And that was to me a, a big deal. I didn't get to talk to him. I got to talk to Flo Steinberg who, you know, handled everything, but she was great. She, she talked to me, Joe, for a half an hour on the phone, asked me all kinds of great. questions, interested in, you know, this, and then two weeks later, I got a package in the mail and it was this, you know, nice manila envelope full of comic books signed by Stan with a postcard in there from him. And one from a little longer one from Flo saying it was great talking to you. I hope uh, seventh grade and junior high goes great for you. I mean, that, that bit of personal touch then formed a lot of what I've done in my business on the publishing side 
as well as the writing side for the rest of my career. So you were talking about how it forms you. And this is a question I kind of, we've talked about a little bit with people, specifically people who do several conventions. You're, you have a bad day. You're a human being. You always are going to have certain bad days. How do you handle that when you have that pressure? Because normal people don't have that pressure. Oh, I met somebody on the elevator. It's okay. I was an a-hole to them. I'll never see them again. You, specifically after Winona Herb, people will remember that. And clearly you find it important to be good to your fans. Oh, I mean, that that goes, that's a part of being here from Huntington, West Virginia, small town. Yeah. Uh, that was, and my dad was a big influence on that. In fact, when I was a kid, my dad had a pinball machine, jukebox, pool table, and then video game business. And, and you know, they had it in beer joints and, you know, any place that had those things. He was. But I noticed something pretty young uh, that everywhere we went, everybody in town seemed glad to see my dad. Mm. Roger, oh, they slapping him on the back. They were always happy to see him. And to me, as a kid, always thinking superheroes and stuff, I thought like that was his superpower. And that influenced me a lot. I always wanted to be somebody that people were glad to see, not somebody that, you know, hey, that turd owes me five dollars you know i didn't want that kind of a, a reception stuff and that, that was a big influence on me stan lee again getting back to him was a huge influence in the fact stan made you like stan and if you like stan you'll like marvel comics and it worked i mean he was a he was the face of marvel comics even when a reluctant face in the beginning um i was lucky enough to become friends with don heck fantastic silver age artist with marvel and, and we became friends in the 80s and he and i would talk once a week and he would tell me stan used to try to get all those guys to come in hey i've got a college uh newspaper coming in i've got a reporter coming in won't you guys come in you know and they were churning out a monthly book so you know they couldn't come in they didn't want to come in they just wanted to do the work and they didn't want to you know they and weren't and they're writer guys some of them are yeah. artists they're introverts Oh, big time. I'm, I'm a big time introvert. I just turn it up the volume. I mean, I have to, but you know, that's again, part of the reason why I live in a small town too. But that's, that's why that's, I, I'll tell you, I got a Capcom video, you know, they, they've done video games. Right. And this is San Diego 20 years ago. And I didn't know it, but um, there's a, high school guy came up showed me his portfolio i spent about a half hour with him talking to him 20 years later i get a call from capcom and this is the guy that's creative director and wants to hire me to write maximo and maximo army of zen the video games well i told him you know i haven't played a video game since pong i said i don't, I don't know you know i can't do this stuff he goes well you don't have to this is like a screenplay anyway did the job very lucrative job great love that was that guy whose portfolio i looked at when he was 15 years old Yep. And, you know, I didn't know that till afterwards. He goes, yeah, you spent a half hour with me. You didn't have to. And I just want somebody to be as, you know, nice to me as possible. And before I got in the industry, Robert Kandiger, Walt Simonson, Mike Barron, Tim Truman, there were all these guys that were in the industry that did not have to flow Steinberg to talk to me, give me the time of day, did. And that made a big difference to me. And I've, I've always wanted to pay that back 
if I ever got the chance. That's fantastic, Bo. I, I love I love hearing the story, and I love it when you're talking about when you're giving back. And and sometimes if you're having an off day, you just suck it up, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And that came more on the business end. I was VP of marketing for Eclipse Comics for uh, Todd McFarlane, Todd McFarlane Productions, McFarlane Toys, Image Comics, and IDW Publishing. And that's where you really have to suck it up because there were times that, you know, it, it, <laughs> in the old days, it would have been, let's go out back of the convention hall here and we'll, we'll, we'll sort it out. Yeah. But on the creative side, not so much, but on the, the business side, oh yeah, big time. Yeah. What, what, so before, I know Chad's got a question ready to go, but I'm kind of curious, and this is a cliche question, but you probably in town don't, do you have a lot of people stopping you? Um, again, that really didn't happen too much till the TV show hit six years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, the sign on my back, it says I'm Bo Smith, wine owner, helps a lot. Yeah. But <laughs> but, okay. but it, it did it kind of sparked them because um fortunately uh, there aren't too many people that look like me so um wow. that helped and uh you know uh it went well it, it was surprising and especially here because being an introvert i kind of like having my you know time to myself and stuff and and i did make it clear in conventions years ago and stuff I said you show up my house we're gonna have trouble you know, so uh, everyone was pre-warned on things like that. I got a hundred pound dog that uh, would love to gnaw on somebody. And I'm not going to discuss what I <laughs> would probably do. No, that's okay. We're all, from, we're all from Appalachia. You're, we're all packing. <laughs> 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 but I, I mean, I, well, did, have you had a bad experience? with? Well, I, I'm packing a tub of peanut butter. That's what he's referring <laughs> to behind me. <laughs> Don't ask hey. why he still wants to meet the dog. <laughs> well trust me that that'll that'll warm his heart that's for oh, sure but have you had a bad experience with a fan no no i can't um i can't think of any time i ever did and i think that's because i awarded off anything but i gotta be honest with you with the wine owner herp fans in particular because that stuff started the notoriety on a big right. level then have been the most respectful kind and gracious fan base i've ever dealt with in my life and i've been in comics 35 years with uh, you know a wonderful fan base within the direct market and yeah. stuff but on a worldly one i've never met the erpers i have never met kinder more gracious people in my entire life huh. and i say that with uh, utter truth which i don't utter much but uh, That's okay. seriously yeah i'm moderating these conventions and i can't even say that <laughs> <laughs> no nah, they they were great and i think a lot of the difference is their uh the, the wine owner base of fans are pretty much women from ages 15 to 55 where my fan base within the direct market has been males 15 to 55 and you know as guys you know i know that camaraderie between me and my buddies is you know you you bust them in the shoulder you bust their chops this, that, and the other, and I was not, I was used to that. I was used to snide remarks back and forth with each other, but with the wine owner herb, with the herpers, man, it was, it was a different world. And it took a little adjusting because I wasn't used to people being just so genuinely nice to me 
I mean, I don't mean that, that my no. buddies and stuff weren't, but uh, especially big, women, big just random yeah. women, r- random lovely folks being nice to you, and you're like, yeah. are you talking to the other person behind me? Exactly, Joe. You hit it right on the head. That's what I, I felt it. like. Yeah, I get it because I, I, it's happened a few times, and it's always because they think we know somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I almost made you spit, but it's like, oh, I'm not. It was close. It was close. Nice right, to that fat bearded man. He'll introduce me. <laughs> All right. Chad, go ahead. Sorry. Well, well I'm, I kind of want to revisit what you were mentioning earlier about Stan Lee and everything. So was, was Marvel your main influence to get into comics or did um, DC have an impact on you? DC was my go-to comic books before uh until about 1961 when i was in first grade and marvel was such and it was fantastic for one right around in there that i'd picked up because i was in first grade and chad that changed everything all of a sudden i was reading comic books that i kind of looked around the room going are any adults looking should i really be reading this I, these, <laughs> these people are acting real and i was I was mesmerized by those. And I knew then that, you know, I wanted to do, in fact, in school, they always, back then, always asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my age group was always a cowboy, an astronaut, a mill. And mine was, I want to write comic books. Were you a friend with somebody who said they wanted to be a milkman? (laughs) I'm the one who said they wanted to be a milkman before that. I thought then, because then the trucks looked really really neat i mean they looked like something out of a 40s movie i thought i'd spend all day driving around that truck drinking chocolate milk oh that makes sense okay that's the job i wanted and you got to get up early you know it was fun but uh that changed marvel comics changed my occupational desires so it it was i mean that was a was it a was it one comic in particular or was it just them as a whole comic book the comic book that got me hooked on comic books just in general was batman 143 and it was in a bat hound and the alien one of those goofy <laughs> nutty you know covers that i just thought was wonderful and uh and that was a little bit before i was in first grade because i was really pissed off because the first day i went to school first grade yeah. i was mad when i came home because i thought when i came home i would be able to read this I didn't know they didn't teach you to read in one day. And I was, I was none too happy. But Marvel Comics is what got me to where I wanted to write them. I wanted to make those kind of stories up. And um, Fantastic Four One, First Avengers, all those that I got off the newsstand were the key ones. To be honest with you, though, it was probably the run of Daredevil. My first Daredevil issue was 15, where he fought the Ox. And for whatever reason, John Romita did the art, Stan did the story. At that point, I was probably sixth grade. I said, I want to write these. I went back. I got every Daredevil comic before that. I, that's the one that just really flipped the switch. That's awesome. Um, so I kind of got to jump forward quite a bit because yeah. I, I, I did not jump ha- around anyway. Yeah, I did not have. <laughs> so, you know. I will say this, the one, the comic, I can't even tell you the title of it. It was a comic book. My mom picked me up at a Winn-Dixie uh, <laughs> when I was like in 
second grade it was a it was a marvel comic book i've been meaning to track it down and actually i can tell you everything about it it featured them in a hotel and it was mojo in the back uh of, of the hotel like uh you know uh controlling the x-men and they end up in a big pile on top of one another knocked out at the end i could tell you frame by frame what it was but i can't tell you the story but that actually got me hooked on comics it made me want to read comics and then quickly after that i turned into a dc comics person don't ask me why (laughs) 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 but you you wrote one of my favorite characters in dc and that's guy gardner and and and, and in particular you wrote one of the most unique story arcs of that character because out of all the dc comic heroes he's had one of the more fluctuating uh lifestyle uh, uh, of images throughout yeah. the history and his role as warrior is one of the more unique how did that how did you get assigned to that and how just how did you all develop that that was um uh, the last of the fun um <laughs> is the way i I put that Chuck Dixon, a good friend of mine, he and I broke into the industry together at the same time, uh, had been writing it before. He actually wrote the first couple of issues of Guy Gardner Warrior that they they were doing. And he, you know, was his plate has been and always is full. So he, you know, I got to go off this. And sales on the book were extremely high anyway. At that point, they were right around 40,000, which you know, Marvel and DC canceled books easily at that that point then. Right. Now they would dance on a table. But uh, he said, you know, I'm going to leave this. He suggested to Kevin Dooley and Eddie Berganza, the two editors on that, Bo Smith would be great. He could step right into this glove for you. And I kind of knew Kevin from uh, the fan days. Of, he and I are about the same age. And Eddie Berganza, I knew when he from his time at Starlog Magazine. He had uh, done some articles at Eclipse for on Eclipse stuff, and I had, you know, helped him on that. So I got the job. They called me up and asked me if you wanted to do that. They go, I can't guarantee it's going to be very long. You know, sales aren't real good, but, you know, as long as we're going to do the book, you want to try to, you know, I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And the first issue was 20, which I got to, I asked them, I started asking, can I use Wonder Woman? Can I use Batman? Can I use... They were going, yeah, yeah. And again, that's what I'm saying. It was the end of the fun because back then on a near canceled book at DC Comics, you had freedom. Uh, and canceled book, they're not going to care what you do. And corp- corporate wise, they were not as tight on Batman, Wonder Woman, and you can do this, you can't do that. It was like, sure, yeah, go ahead and use them. But my goal with Guy Gardner, Warrior, was first and foremost, to make him a likable character. I always liked the character, but, you know, the Batman one-punch thing that went on. Yeah. In, uh, I mean, that was, it was funny. I laughed at the time, but it was frat boy humor in the fact that a lot of these guys in that Wizard Magazine humor, when I, I say that, and I can say it because a lot of those guys are my friends, but they rode that horse till it was, you know, there was nothing left. Right. And there was, to me, as a writer, there's more to characters than that. So my challenge was to make Guy Gardner the same, but make him likable. And that was it. And I wanted to make his supporting cast all the land of misfit toys of DC Comics. I, you know, I brought Wildcat back, Lady Blackhawk, uh, a couple of the metal men, Tiger Man from My Greatest Adventure. I read that as a kid in the 60s. I wanted to bring back all these people and give them a second, these characters 
and give them a second life in that book. And guy was my goal. And man, I got to do him from issue 20 through 44, two annuals and a couple of specials far beyond what I thought. And we, we brought sales up to about 65, 70,000, which was DC took notice because other editors started borrowing Guy Gardner for other books. My only concession was I kept telling him, yeah, he can morph weapons of ancient warriors, but they had him doing egg beaters, chainsaws. And I knew that was going to happen, but you know, I was playing with someone else's toys. So you roll with the flow. Yeah, they, they, in some issues, they kind of turned him into plastic man, which yes. was kind of, which was kind of a tragic thing. Cause you know, Guy Gardner is not plastic man. He's no. Mm-mm. And you turned him into basic, you turned him into a wild west hero, which was, I thought I never saw coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That was part of my goal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cause you know, really Keith- was Chad. You know, I love Keith Giffen, don't get me wrong, but he did kind of uh, turn Guy Gardner into a, a schlock character, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I mean how many was, issues did he walk around not being Mr. Nice Guy because Batman punched him? I mean, it was... Oh, a lot. And again, like you said, there was a fluctuation of character changes, which they tried to say it was all the concussions. It was this, it was that. And I tried to slim some of that down. Again, I had nothing to lose. What's the worst they were going to do? Kick me off a book that I didn't own? Right. You know, I had nothing to lose. And I ended up with everything to gain because I had a lot of fun. I think I accomplished the goal of making Guy likable. And there, I, I told Eddie and Kevin that I wanted humor in this, not slapstick humor. I wanted everyday humor that people that are friends, that are buddies have. And that's why I wanted to build his um, supporting cast up with, the misfit toy kind of guys. And the very first thing that I did in 20 to get hit, get Guy Gardner that respect was he was not getting that respect, say three, four pages into it. But when Wonder Woman, Diana Prince, stopped everybody and told Guy that, you know, she was backing and then told her him to call her Diana, bang, that was it. That was the moment that anybody reading that book is going, what are they going to do here? This is, she's giving him respect. Maybe I should at least give a chance to give respect. Now I'm going to tell you guys something. I don't think I've told anybody else. Again, corporately, they were not as tight on iconic characters, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, as they are today. My goal was if I can make this into 10, if I can go 10 issues on this, I'm going to have Guy and Wonder Woman get married. Now, it was going to be one of these, we're going to do it as a convenience to fool a bad guy type of thing. We're going to have to act like we're married. You used to see him in the 60s, Doris Day, Rock Hudson, rom-coms. I mean, that kind of situation. (laughs) But afterwards, after they, you know, it's over, they defeated the bad guy. But they've been playing married for a few issues. It was going to be that they part, but Hopefully, for friend on it, we could have made a run at this. Both of them thinking that, and both of them feeling that. So I wanted to give that emotion, that respect, into both characters because I never thought, even though Wonder Woman was an iconic character, I always I told those guys back then, the editors, that I said everybody handles her different. There's the goofy one, there's the serious one, there's the feminist one. Which one is she? I said I want to be able to use her and then for the readers to be able to tell me what's on her iPod. 
if they can tell me what she's playing on her iPod, they're going to know about that character. They're going to care about her. No matter what the confrontation is, they're going to be there because they're going to be emotionally invested in. Unfortunately, didn't get to that point. Uh, you know, so I did the best by just having her give him respect. Superman gave him respect. That was in the issue where he fought Sledge uh, and, and Steel, the character Steel. I, I did it in small parts, just trying to give guys much respect from the other characters. Hopefully the readers would too. Awesome. I'm so, sorry. I was just sitting here thinking of pillow talk for the last day. <laughs> <laughs> and most of our listeners aren't even going to know what the hell that is. No, yeah. You're right. You're right. Tony yeah, Randall that- was it was a national treasure. Sorry. James. <laughs> so, uh, well, I, I've got to ask this question because my, sure. my parents made them made a mistake when I was young and they, the mistake they made. Oh, I have a really bad joke. I know oh, you have several jokes yeah. I set myself up for, but let's, let's forego Joe, Joe and I could tag team this for a good anyway, hour, but we're here um, to talk about the they, they basically had this, this agreement that if it was a book, they would buy it for me. And, and I conned my way into that, including comic books. And I've turned out relatively well, uh, so it, it paid off. Um, Once again, stop leaving. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. That being said, you know, you talked about y- your father and all that. How did how did they re- and asking them for you know calling Stan Lee? How did your parents respond to that? Because I think that's one of the things that you know we always hear the stories of of my parents threw away my comic books, my parents, and all of that. So how how did that navigate? You know, as as growing up and saying, I want to be a comic book writer, was that one of those things? Because I'll be honest, my father always looked at it as, that's nice, go do your stuff. <laughs> well, um, my parents were only 19 years older than me. So I had always had the youngest parents, which was a very good thing. Um, they, you know, my mom's one rule, which was minor, was, you know, don't leave those on the floor. You know, that was it. No, I wouldn't anyway. I was wrapping them in saran wrap and putting them on a shelf. But um, they never once, you know, I used to tell them I wanted to write comics. They were okay, if that's what you want to do. But you got to, you know, you got to know how to spell, you know, so pay attention in class. And as far as I wasn't the brightest kid in school, I was busy daydreaming. I was writing, making up stories and writing them in my notebook when I should have been doing arithmetic. Um, so, I mean, from there through high school, I made better grades in college just because it was more focused, but, uh, no, nah, I made, I made pretty bad grades because I was always daydreaming. I was always making up stories back then. I was writing Wyatt Earp and his brothers fight the universal monsters. I mean, that's where Wyatt Earp ended up coming from. Can, can we see that movie? Can you write that now? <laughs> I would pay to see that. We, could, we could go watch Billy, that. Billy, the kid versus uh, meets Dracula's daughter. There. See, those are the things that influenced me as a yeah. kid. And, uh, you know, it, they were good about that. Now, my teachers, counselors, things like that was always, you've got to have a regular job. You want to write, you're going to have to do newspapers, magazines, uh, you know, that kind of things. Books, if you must. But I, w- I was not encouraged at all. And, you know, to be honest with you, I kept my creativity kind of low profile back then. You know, I was a pretty well-rounded kid. I wrestled, I boxed, uh, ran track. I did all that. You know, girls started in junior high, all that. But I always kept the creative side kind of low-key because I didn't know how people would handle it. I mean, you know, I was a, from in, ding, 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 70s. High schools when I quit reading comics for about three or four years. 
because I was busy doing extracurricular activities that I'd be in jail for now. So, <laughs> but it was great because once I got married for the first time in 80, I got to go back and get all those Bronze Age comics. It was like collecting all over again that I missed. But, but a geek yeah. at that time could have got the shit kicked out of you. It's not like uh, it is now. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it, I, mean, it, I, wasn't, I wasn't so worried about that part. But it's not socially uh, acceptable 50 or 60 years ago. I, I, I was going to say, a, a friend of mine briefly owned a comic book store, and, and that's yeah. a comment that he always made uh, when, he, when he was running the comic book store. Yeah, we grew up in the 80s and 90s, and he said, all the people that made fun of us for reading comics, now that they're in movies, are coming into the shop going, hey, this is cool, man. And yeah, he was like, yeah. where, was that, where was that attitude, you know, 15 years ago when you were in the hallway, you know, holding me down like this. But... <laughs> Sorry, Bob, go back to your... Oh, no, no, I didn't, I didn't have to worry about that in too much because, like I said, I was not... Uh, you were a jock? You were a I was not a, I was not an angel. Um, we used to, people used to sniff glue by the river. We thought, no, well, that ain't right. We took bamboo uh, sticks, the kind that crossing guards used at school. Mm -hmm. We took it then we went down there and just beat the crap out of that, that stuff. Because, you know, I mean, this is stupid. You shouldn't be doing this, whack, whack, you know, that kind of thing. So vigilante justice, I guess. But And, and I'm, I'm not proud of that. No, but, but you're you know, just was, pretending to be Wyatt Earp. It was that, well, that and started drinking beer in about sixth grade didn't help. So, you know, <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm not saying that as bragging, but that's just the way it was. Um, then um, you know so it was a and i got to use a lot of what happened to me from say seventh grade to college you know in stories so it's it's worked out um but uh, i've never done i've never done any jail time so you know everything's good um but it Came through at a different time where not everything was recorded yeah and creativity I, I, again if you're a creative person you you know you didn't go around announcing it back then. I mean, I, you know, dating a girl and she goes, oh, you're still reading comic books. Eh, maybe I ought to start going out with Jimmy. You know, he doesn't read comic books. He's an idiot, but he doesn't read comics. So, you know, I kept that stuff low key. And most people, my friends and stuff knew I did, but they didn't care. You know, it was a, you know, a casual thing, but I kept it low key. Um, that's, that's, that's for certain. But uh, once I got to college, though, it was okay. I met other people that were into comics traded with them you know this kind of and it was it was legit then it was good so uh and i had people i could talk shorthand like uh, all of us the three four of us we can talk shorthand we don't you know joe and i've met but chad and james and i know we can talk shorthand all day know what the other one's talking about mm -hmm. you and when chad it comes to comics, it yeah comics films you know all that kind of stuff i didn't i didn't have that growing up very few people that i could talk shorthand on a pop culture in general it didn't exist we're in a different no. time now and and we came through i think chad james and i came through at the last part where it wasn't probably as socially acceptable you wasn't as included in high school you kept it yourself and oh like you were saying these two idiots below me moorhead state university hey <laughs> I, I, I spoke at moorhead and 20 some years later Moorhead State University, we're still, yeah, we're still friends. So I, we totally yeah. get. Oh, when did you speak at Moorhead? Me and Amanda Connor did. Oh. We spoke 
to, to the um, uh, creative writing course that they had down there at the time. And this was in the 90s. We, we, you know, it's not that far from me, but she, they, they flew her in. She came and uh, brought her mother even. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, it we, was 98 so, or 99. I'm going to be pissed. Cause we were there. We were there. <laughs> well, it was, it was right around that time period, to be honest with you, maybe 95. Okay. But she would just finish doing, well, I'll tell you, you guys might be able to, she had, I think she had just finished doing Gargoyles Marvel and she was starting to do uh, more DC stuff then. That's cool. Yeah, uh, actually, there we. I think we came right around the last of that. They would bring people in. I don't yeah, think yeah. they do a lot of that anymore. But that's no. that's uh, a higher end thing. We don't bring in as much. Now people. I was about to say, but but I have a soft spot in Moorhead uh, for Moorhead State University's uh, creative writing department because that's one of the only places that has ever published anything I've written other than academic <laughs> stuff. So so well, I have a soft spot for that. Let me stop and ask you guys a question here right now, if you don't mind. No, no. shit. You can ask us anything. This, this, this is a can't. No, I can't handle it. I can't. Oh, no. <laughs> we make the rules, Bo. I don't want any of your your shit, <laughs> mommy. You're having a good time because this isn't much different than us just hanging out. So keep going. What's That's your question? Good. No, my question was, how old are you guys? 106. <laughs> That's your left leg. What about your right? I'm 44, <laughs> bud. Okay, you're 44. Yeah. James, Chad, 42. 42 and i'll be 42 in 10 days okay days. the only re the only reason i'm asking is that gives me an idea when you are talking about stuff what age you were at that that period of yeah. comic books and pop culture and that helps me out a lot that i'm not mentioning something that's way no. too old or you know if it comes yeah. to comics i you can lose me you can't lose the two below me if okay. it, no, it was right. it you, was i mean because pop culture fed everything i did like i i sometimes think my 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 son specifically it's my yeah. punishment for being who i am because <laughs> it, like he got really into Fortnite for a while and every conversation would be like i'd be like oh let's have pizza you know what there's a pizza character in and, I'd be like, oh. and then i realized this is what my parents went through because everything was through the lens of movies or comic books uh star trek uh star trek was literally it not every you mentioned I, I, every birthday it was like, what do you want? I don't know, Star Trek stuff. Well, that's, of course, that's what I want. Or comic book. I mean, that was what I did. It was, and I would love to say that quit when I went was in high school. It did not. Matter of fact, this is true. <laughs> this is true. My, my birthday was not too long ago. And my mother sent me a box of the Star Trek Hallmark ornaments going, I knew you'd like these. And I honestly was ecstatic. I was like, oh, this is cool. They talk now. This is awesome. That's, see, that's perfect. Letting your... Let being able to let your your love and passion for something, at, you know, from being young and on, it makes it so easy because, uh, you know, I'm a December baby. So I had Christmas and eight days before that was my birthday. I didn't have what you had. They they got me things they thought, you know, I would like wasn't the stuff I really wanted. And to be able to be free in that time period, to be able to do that. Oh, man, that'd have been great. That'd have been, I know it so is. Good. You're just it is. generation before us, though, Bo. Oh, let me put it this way. My youngest son is your all's age. <laughs> You're just one generation before us. And unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about when it comes to toys and things, they just didn't exist. So we had a director, uh, oh, crap, uh, House on Haunted Hill, William, uh, Bill Malone. William Malone was on, and he was talking about, because you and Bill are probably about the same age, and was, you know, there were certain toys that he just built. 
that you'd get model kits for and things like that. He would just build and he was a sculptor and he just had to, well, you can't go out and buy it. What? He just would build them. Oh, I wish I had the talent to have done that because I would have tried. You don't have that talent either. But, but no, 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 no. We have none of that. Dang. No. Oh. It, but, you know, I, I think that's it. And that's what I do. And like you said, it, we, we ha can have this shorthand and talking about comic books and, and all of that. I think one thing that I really admire about comic books is the the quote unquote age of a character doesn't matter because it's always going to pop back up right i mean yeah yeah the I, like marvel relaunches about every 15 years they'll do a limited run of the invaders and i always pick it up because i'm always like oh android human torch i've got to read that i've got to <laughs> you know, name all of that and so I, I think that's one of the things that my father wasn't a comic book fan was it but what i found was he it snuck in anyway just because of when he grew up, like he knew the Iron Man theme song from the old Iron Man cartoon mm. of Tony Stark, he'll make you feel cool. And, yeah. and I literally, I caught him once humming it and I'm like, I know that. And he, he was like, oh yeah. He goes, well, you know, you get off work, you watch whatever's on. And I was like, oh no, no, you were a fan. You just did it. It wasn't socially acceptable. He played football. He, in you know, high school, he did all this stuff. And, and then he also, and then eventually he came around and he goes, yeah, I also really like super chicken. And I'm like, this is fascinating. That had to have made your day. I mean, oh, yeah, seriously, yeah. that had to. It, it, it was, it was really, and that's why one of the reasons I love doing these interviews and having these conversations, because really pop culture unites people in ways that oh. we don't think about. And that was my father worked in a factory when I went to college. He was like, don't get a Bachelor of Arts in anything. Nobody's going to pay you for art. I mean, that was his mentality. He, he worked in a factory. He did engineering. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got old enough to realize I'm like, no, no, he had other things. He's just in this mindset of I work, I provide, you know, and, and, and he's and, trying to set that up for you. Yeah, and and then realizing that you know, as I got older, oh, he likes action movies and he likes this and and uh, and hey, so we're that's, not interviewing you, bud. No, no. But what I was going to say is, I'm I'm loving it though. I'm loving I, I it. I think I think that's one of the things that right now. Uh, I think that's one of the things that it gets to how that fandom works. And one of the things that I, I did read about you, you wrote into comic books as well. The term letter hack, I think, is sometimes applied. And yeah. so was that part of also that process what impact did that have when you saw your words printed in a comic book just in the letter pages uh, again i've got to uh, use stan lee as an example i was um 30 i got into comics late as far as create you know a lot of people do it in their 20s and stuff i was uh i was approaching my middle 30s and i was recently divorced wasn't living with my son uh, it was, it was, um, it wasn't a great time. And I was at a dead end job. And I remember leaving that dead end job one night, went outside, uh, summer night and not much different from tonight. And I sit on the tail of my pickup truck and I took off the vest that we had to wear at my dead end job. And I set it down there and I hated that thing because it represented, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. Nothing wrong with the job the company anything like that but it to me always reminded me i wasn't doing what i wanted to do and i'd moved back to my mom and dad's house you know after having my own and you know everything else it was just kind of a rock rock bottom i mean a lot of other people's 
rock bottom is makes that look like nothing. But to me, that, that was at that time. And I said, you know, you've always wanted to write comics. I said, you got to make a stab at it. So I had to come up with some sort of plan, even though I was in a small town, West Virginia, there still was not facts. There was not, you know, anything but a phone. So every comic book that I bought at the comic book store, so let's say I bought six that week. And back then it was on Fridays. I, I said, okay, I'm going to read this one. As soon as I got through reading it, I wrote a letter of comment to the editor and the assistant editor. I made sure to attach them because the assistant editor is going to be the editor soon. So a bit of it was marketing as well. Um, I signed my full name, Stephen Scott Bo Smith. Because I think that will set it apart from yeah. Joe, who just put his you know first and last name in there. Um, then I, I, I started, I said, don't make the letters real long. Make them short, concise, add humor to them, be constructive criticism, but kind of try to be funny if you can. And so I started doing that with every comic I bought every week. And I was sending out at least 10 letters a week. Well, after a while, the editors, you know, started printing some of them. I mean, they were, whether they were flooded with them or what, I don't know. But, and yeah, that was a thrill to see my name, my words in a printed comic book, which I, you know, have had comics on an altar for so long. And it wasn't, I'm cutting a lot of this short, but. It's okay, take your time. While the, the editors contacted me and said, sent me Xerox copies of an issue coming up three issues ahead saying, we want to have a letter column for that first issue of this mini series, this new thing. Would you mind reading this and giving us a letter of comment? So yeah, you don't have to ask me twice. So I did that and started building rapport long distance through the snail mail with editors and assistant editors. Uh, the place I was working at was giving away t-shirts. Uh, it was audio video sales and stuff. I sent those editors all t-shirts. You know, you get a you get a package with a shirt, you know, and it's, it's the early 80s. You're going to remember that. You're going to remember it, this, that guy with four names gave me a t-shirt. That's still true today, by the way. You should you people give give free shirts, people get like right, foaming at the mouth, free shirt, free shirt. <laughs> that's that's it, Chad. I mean, that was, you know, kind of the thought and you know, it 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 helped I don't say it worked, but it helped. And but I could only do that so far. I had probably over 300 letters printed in Marvel DC and everything else. But there came a time that I said, okay, I've done this, but I got to take it up to the next level. So um, I always subscribed with Westfield Comics through the mail. Uh, we didn't have a lot of comic shops in our area and stuff. And I'd build up a good relationship with them. And um, they, you know, I wrote for their newsletter. So they said, we will send you to Chicago Con. We'll pay for your flight, your hotel, food, everything. All we will ask for you to do is when you come back to write a report for our newsletter in it. I said, yeah, and I'd never flown before anything. So it was a big deal. What year was um, it? How, how uh, old were you? I'm sorry. I'm trying to make sure I got the timeline right. What year was this? Uh, how old? It was 80, 80, probably about 80, let's see, the worst at 80, about 85. 85? I would say that'd be the, yeah, I'm trying to figure out from my son's age. So yeah, it was about 85. Okay. And yeah, because that works into the whole, I'm just thinking now. So I went and I made the most of being at that because that's where I met Shooter. I told you the Peter David story Poor Peter, you know, took a spill. 
but I met other people there and I got that. I would introduce myself and you're the guy with four names. They knew that. Oh, and I got to be honest with you, they were a little surprised to meet me because sometimes I was a couple of years older than they are. So it wasn't, you know, yeah, wasn't yeah. Four, I wasn't a 14 year old kid. Um, but it was at that one. I met Shooter, Peter David. There was a lot of people I met. And Tim Truman was doing, uh, starting to do scout at Eclipse Comics and introduced myself. You know, I really liked the book. He goes, hey, yeah, I've printed some of your letters. We start talking. He goes, where are you from? I said, Huntington, West Virginia. He goes, I was born in Dixie, West Virginia. We start this whole West Virginia thing. We became lifetime buddies from that moment on. And I'm, I'm advancing a lot of stuff on this, but um, uh, at one point when Eclipse no longer had the sales manager and they were looking for a new one. Tim told me, he goes, hey, uh, you know, won't you take what you do in your day job and can you apply it to comics? Because Eclipse is looking for somebody to be a sales manager for the retail and distribution. And I said, yeah, sure I can. I, I said, but Eclipse is in Santa Rosa, California. I'm not moving. And he goes, I don't think you'll have to. And I, oh, that's odd. So um, Dean Mullaney, the publisher, uh, Dean, his brother, Jan, they were the, co the co-founders of Eclipse Comics and Cat Ironwood was the editor-in-chief, who was also Dean Mullaney's wife at the time. Um, the ABA, the American Booksellers Association, was in Washington, D.C. And Dean said, yeah, I've talked to Tim. Won't you come? I'll pay for your flight and everything in a hotel. Come, I'd, I'd, I'd like to meet you and talk to you. So once again, yeah, here I go. And, you know, a whole new adventure. I go to Washington. Dean neglected to give me uh, credentials and a badge to get in. So there I am at the American Booksellers Association thing. A guy goes, well, I need your credentials. Do you have a badge? I, said, I had to lie and be a criminal quickly. I said, no, my, my brother is up there. He's published for Eclipse Comics. Dean Mullaney is his name. I've got bad family news. I've got to get that. And I didn't ask him could you let me in? I said, could you relay this to him? I said, it won't be easy. And he was going, no, 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 no. Come with me. I'll, I'll get you where it eclipse booth, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is he takes me up there to the eclipse. He goes, are you Dean Mullaney? He goes, yes, Sammy. He goes, well, I've got your brother, Bo Smith. He never did anything about the names, you know, because divorces, this, that, the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He never, he was so worried about having to tell him possibly that a relative had died, that he was, ready to let me goes well here he is so dean and i start talking i explained to them what i'd done and tim truman and chuck dixon were there for eclipse as well and dean looked at me right then he goes i'm sorry you know for profusely for not leaving your credentials and he goes if you got in here and did that he goes i'm not worried about you doing the job you're hired and then he handed me Xeroxes of advanced comics. He goes, see those people over there? He goes, that's Diamond Distribution. That's our biggest distributor. Back then we had probably 25, 26. They were everywhere. And each, where, each one had warehouses. It was just a lot more than it was today. He goes, they don't like us. Bill Shanus is their, one of their head guys. And he used to own Pacific Comics, which I bought. And he has not wanted to bury the hatchet since then. Go over there and make them was what he said so i went over there and it and bill will attest to this bill and i have been friends for 
well over 30 years, but he was, you know, holding a grudge. And I had nothing against Bill because I like Pacific Comics, but ended up, we worked it out a few years later. And, and like I said, Bill's been one of my best buddies in this industry for, for many, many years. Steve Jeppy the same way. Uh, but that was my first assignment, my first job. So naturally, when uh, the time came for uh, writing, Tim again gave me a backup in Scout to do. First was Bo LaDuke's Tips for Real Men. So always write what you know best. Well, I know me, I know the amplified version of me, and a mix of my dad and John Wayne. So Bo LaDuke was his name. And, you know, he was vet, especially nowadays, especially, but then, even then, politically incorrect and, mm. and rough and tough and all this stuff. So we had these little one-page things. Well, that expanded into me getting to do Bo Duke and the Dogs of Danger. So it was a backup in Scout or Swords of Texas, which was another Tim Truman produced book. And I got to do that. And to show you how I thought this ride was going to end at any time. I put every family member, friend, my insurance agent was the <laughs> bad guy in it. I put everybody I knew because I said, I'm going to get this one shot and this is going to be it. At least I'm going to be able to make my friends and family famous yeah. for a few minutes. Well, you know, it ended up uh, the character, Bola Duke, Tim used him in the scout. He became a, a regular member of that. Uh, and it started my writing career. Uh, it wasn't a few years later that Dean knew that I loved the Golden Age character, the Black Terror. And it, that was the only comic book that my dad, that and Blackhawk, that my dad read as a kid because I asked him about that. And so it was a goal of mine, a tip a hat to my dad, to do a Black Terror comic, public domain. We, Me, Chuck Dixon, and Dan Brereton, it was Dan's first major work. He was right out of art school. We got to do a prestige series, three issues on that which not a lot of people, especially the clips were getting, but Dean, you know, believed in me, believed in Chuck. And of course, Dan's amazing art and let us do that. And again, I don't, yes, I do. I brag on myself all the time. And I'm going to do that now. I still think that three issue miniseries will hold yeah. up against anything out there today. A lot of people go, you know, it's always Watchmen, Dark Knight, you know, this, that, the other. To me, that was never a true superhero book. That was a crime novel. If you guys ever get the chance to read it, please do. I, I, I think you'll agree with me. Yeah. Um, and again, that's being, being confident in what the work was. Um, but that has never been collected. Uh, you can still find it sometimes in dollar boxes, uh, even though it was a $5 book at the time. But uh, you noticed, and then Joe, I warned you about this and show how I get diarrhea of the mouth. No, All you got to do not. is say one thing about that's almost a question, and I'll go on forever. Did you look I up apologize. at the clock? Did you look? Is that what you were doing? You looked up at the clock, didn't you? Nope, nope, I have not. I saw you do this and lean up and go at the clock. Now, by the way, no, there, there's a mirror. I was just looking at myself. Oh, well, I can't stop looking at you anyway. So we're all good there. <laughs> So again, I apologize. No, no, we loved it. You That's what we're here for. This is what we're this is what we want to hear from you. So yeah, this is amazing. So I was going back and looking at my original notes and my original questions. And I and and actually what's funny is we didn't talk about what we were going to ask. And James asked one of my original questions about letter hacking and then chat uh, and then it led to that great story that I wanted you to tell again about you getting in. 
and and faking the faking the the family emergency because I just it's I know people say fake it till you make it and I know that's <laughs> but it surely is just trying to have confidence and put confidence out there to make people feel at ease so you're able just to kind of grab your shot and take your shot. I I was desperate to take my shot. Yeah. I, I I truly was at that time. I didn't want to hurt anybody or lie too bad, but it, it was it was my it was. And again, I, Joe, I told you this at the show, and I'm not putting myself in comparison, but it had to be the same feeling Michael Jordan had the first time he touched a ball. Yes. It's like I was born to do something with this ball. And with comics, at that Batman 143, I knew this. I was gravitated. I was mesmerized. There was just something about words and pictures I had to be a part of. And I think I told you this. It's a Stephen King thing. It's a Stephen King quote. I think I told you the same thing. Stephen King referencing Jerry Lee Lewis saying Jerry Lee (laughs) grew up poor. First time he ever saw a piano. He didn't know what it was, but he had to get at it. Stephen (laughs) King found his Lovecraft novels because his dad had walked out on them and he found them upstairs and he didn't know what that Lovecraft book was about, but he had to get at it it's it's that's it and i completely understand it's this how i fell in love with movies it's how i fell in love getting to do this interviewing people and getting on stage with you all it's i don't know what it is but i gotta get at it oh it's it's i I know what you mean i mean it's not too many people not too many people uh, get to feel that i mean i hope somebody feels that way about accounting or or, you know, some right. other job. I, really I need do. somebody to do my accounting. I need somebody to do those other things. I get it. And you want that accounting to be passionate, right? You want that yes. accounting to be like, I've got to do this. I've got to get it right. I don't know what it is, but i got to get at it. I'm sorry. 100%. Chad. 100%. Real quick, I just want to clarify. Oh. So is, is The Black Terror, was that the book that was subtitled The Seduction of Deceit? Yes. Yes. Just just found a copy. I'm ordering it. So thank you. <laughs> I'm to read list now. I'm, well, I, I, you have to. My, the only thing I ask is let me know what you think. We'll oh, do. be honest. If you hate it, you hate it. You know, we won't hate it. Yeah, you never know. I'm you sorry. Know. I, I'm sorry. I didn't get to read it for for research for this. All right, Chad. <laughs> I got one question, but I something just popped up and I'm kind of I want to get your you thoughts on it because I looked up Batman 143. Yep. And it's written by the now appreciated Bill Finger, who until a few years ago, no one knew who the hell he was. And I was curious what uh, did uh, the Batman and Bill documentary that got released? Did did you watch it? Did it have an impact on you? I've never seen it. I didn't uh, know that it was out there. Um, if you have Hulu. Yep. Sure do. It's on Hulu. Right, I'm right next to I can down. email it to you, Bo. It's called yeah. It's called Batman and Bill. It is an amazing documentary. It's uh, it's it's from it's about a man who is the filmmaker is trying to get Bill Finger credit on Batman. And oh, this this great! I had no idea it existed. This yeah, is and great. It's, it, it it is uh, fascinating. It is it, just, yeah, and it's it's heart wrenching. I haven't it, seen it yet. Yeah, it's oh. you, you need to check it out. Um, oh, most definitely. But does it? But knowing now that Bill Finger is now officially getting credit for for creating batman i mean does that how are your thoughts on that i did i was just curious if you had any thoughts you know i I looked at it in the same way with professional baseball went through this once baseball cards got hot and people were making money you know you know selling baseball cards and getting signatures and stuff a lot of times and i haven't seen this but from talking to a lot of the the pros that i became friends with that 
were, you know, from that era and you're from the 40s, 50s, and even 60s. They had no idea. They, a lot of times they didn't care. A lot of times they were ashamed they were doing comics, mm -hmm. but there were a few that I talked to that had the passion for comic books and, and they, they did them and, but they never, I, to be honest with you, the ones that I became friends with never thought about creativity that half the time, because I would ask questions about that. I said, well, you know, you came in on this. Did you, you know, create the design on this character? They go, nah, it was, yeah, a little bit, but, you know, this art said, don't you, you know, again, when, when I question the times I was asking them, was mainly in the 80s, because a lot of them passed away, they didn't care. They didn't think about it. They didn't think that day would, they never thought they would see it on screen, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I'm glad that it's happened because the, the generation before me, and I, it's not really a generation, but Len Wein, Marv Wolfman, got that guys that are basically right around five to 10 years older than me, they were the first fans to break in as pros. And I'm so glad to see a lot of them get credit, yeah. you know, for stuff that, you know, they did as work for hire uh, contracts that, you know, to get the credit, the acknowledgement. Uh, I don't think we see it enough with the golden age guys, even today. Yeah. Um, you have, you know, you have a few that have garnered it and fought for it, but, um, you know, Jack Kirby did, I don't, well, I have a wonderful Jack Kirby story to go Hell with my Stan Lee. Oh but my gosh. He, I don't think he, it took that fan base that I was talking about that's five to 10 years older than me to fight for Jack, to get Jack to start fighting for himself. Uh, because, you know, for years, I don't, uh, I don't think he, I don't think, but I don't think he demanded enough of it. Uh, I think he could have, you know, he was a fighter and a tough guy, but, you know, I wish he, he could just have gotten, the, He just did it for the love of the art, I'm assuming. Yeah, and, 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 and to create, but um, my Jack Kirby story doesn't have much to do with that part as okay. much as it does what he was a nice guy that remember the convention i told you about that i got to go to uh through westfield comics they yeah, paid yeah. my way first time i flew flew on the shuttle bus going to the rosemont hotel was jack and ross kirby of course i knew what jack kirby looked like i mean you know as a kid anytime i saw a picture of stan jack any of the creators in fact in one old comic they put pictures of the whole bullpen and I introduced myself. And again, I wasn't a kid, but I introduced myself to him. And he, you know, I told him what I did for a living and this at dinner. And I told him why I was coming to the convention. This is my first time I've flown, first convention I've been to. I'm doing this. And he, they, were, they were so wonderful and gracious. He sat there and asked me questions about me, what comics I like, not what comics of mine do you like, but what comics, what was the first one you read? He and Roz both were wonderful. The, the bus gets there, uh, the shuttle bus gets to the hotel, going to check in. He's going to check in. There were people waiting for him. Oh, Jack, over here, you know, we're going to get you taken care of and stuff like that. So I'm standing. He goes, wait, wait, wait. He goes, Bo, oh, come over here. My, this is my friend, Bo Smith. He's from West Virginia. We came out here 
blah, blah, blah. Bo needs to check in as well. We check into the hotel and stuff. And I said, oh, this is, you know, you should have done it. That's nice. He goes, no, we're not done. He goes, we're going to go downstairs. We went downstairs. He, this is my friend, Bo Smith. He's going to need a badge to get in. He's one of my guests, blah, blah, blah. He took care of me, making sure I was, he knew I'd never flown, never been to a convention. And I'm a 30 year old man. So, I mean, he's, He's treating me like a, a son or a grandson, him and Ross both. He goes, now, Bo, and we're getting ready to party. He goes, he, goes, he was going to go to their room, and I was going to mine. He goes, I got a panel Saturday at this time. He goes, make sure you come to it, okay? I said, yeah, I was, I'm not going to miss that, yeah. So Saturday, I go to the thing. He introduces me at his panel and says, this is my friend Bo Smith I met on the way out here. Would you, Bo, would you stand up? And, uh, uh, you know, Jack, and he goes, now, Bo, I'm going to give you, he goes, what question do you have for me? I said, well, uh, of all the characters that you've worked on, um, I get, get in this argument with my friends all the time. I, I think you're the voice of uh, Sergeant Fury. He goes, we're friends, Bo, but you're wrong. He goes, he goes, it has to be the thing, Ben Grimm. That's my voice. You know, just, it was, my head, I was 12 years old, and my head was exploding. <laughs> I mean, that, that made that first convention, my first airplane flight, all that, it made, and again, what I talked about earlier, it made the payback that much more important to me. If I could treat somebody like that, if I ever get to write comics, if I ever get to pull somebody in, if they've got, you know, the talent and, and this and that, so much stuff that happened to me before comics has really been what has influenced me being lucky enough to be able to do this for 35 years and not get tossed out of the party yet. I, I still shake my head when I think about it. It's been that long and I'm still doing things. I mean, to get it, to publish Wine on Earth for 20 years was huge, but to get a TV show based off that and have it run four years when you're 60 years old, yeah, that that really doesn't doesn't happen. I, I I would tell people that in interviews early on, and then it was proven not the anomaly that I thought it was. Soon after that, when one of my buddies, I mean best friends since college, local guy Clint McElroy, um, who I started trading comic books with in class and stuff does the same thing and i in my opinion even on a bigger level he had been a local disc jockey in our area for years and quite famous on the wall of fame here in huntington you know he was that good and stuff loves comics like i do he's exactly the same age i am um he has three sons all three super creative i mean incredibly creative and have been since they were kids i was in the the hospital with each one of them were born and never would have dreamed it. Um, those three boys, I say boys, they're all grown men with a, with, and they're roughly around your all's age. Yeah. Um, you know, have kids or anything, but they do a podcast that they, they started and it's called my brother, my brother and me. They do another one called the adventure zone, those things. And Clint is with them on, you know, and this, th that has gone just berserk. I mean, they do national tours. They've got Jimmy Buffett coming backstage going, I've been a fan of this forever. 
car, uh, the, the, uh, the guy that did uh, Hamilton, the play, Miranda. Yes. Same thing. He's been on their show, done this stuff. Yeah. They've had two or three New York Times bestsellers from the graphic novels of the Adventures Zone that they've done for it. I mean, just mega success. And he, that happened to him at 60. And he's from my area. And he's one of my buddies. For that to happen, there's something in the water here, boys. You need to come over this way and start drinking the water here. You're going to have to wait till you're 60, but, you know, what's too what's close? I've waited this long. <laughs> I've waited this long. We can, I can wait till 60. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad it, it happened that way because if this would have happened, to me, at 25, I'd have found a way to screw it up. Well, that's the sure. question I was going to ask. Is that it is, it's so much, don't, I don't know. I mean, I was such a dumbass at 22 and 23, but I feel like it's sweeter the older you are because you it, can stay, you, even though you're in it and you're, a, you're like busy. So I have my, I let, can I compare it to this? Um, the three of us, but I was the last one to have a kid, but the three of us had them later. And I was the last, last one. I was like, when's Joe going to get one by the, you know, the, by the goalie. And what I tell people, and it's, I think it's similar as I know it's fleeting. I would not have known that in 22, 23 years old. Yeah. You know, this is fleeting. It's just like that. And every once in a while, you just take a pause and go, isn't this fantastic? Oh, 100%. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I, it the makes best way I, and, and honestly, I, and we're not successful, but just our little things, every once in a while, I'll walk off stage. I'll do something like, for example, that night, I didn't get to hang out with you, but I was a uh, gym shooter was drinking me under the table at the bar. <laughs> and he got up to leave. And I was like, can I get a water, please? Can I get a water while he's gone? <laughs> and I realized later that one of us is having old fashions, this guy and the other guy's just drinking wine. So there's a reason I was got to have dinner beforehand, but it, you just take a second and go, shit, where else would this have happened? And we didn't talk yeah. about comics. I mean, we did a little, but we were talking about 500 other things. We talked about his kid. We talked about George Romero because he was in Pittsburgh. And I was like, yep. Oh, never occurred to me, Jim. Cause I was like the third time I'd interviewed him. We were just saying, because we've got to, of all the conventions sure i've just given you an example of you know it's fleeting yeah oh uh, it's been fleeting i've looked at that from even getting in late uh, in my 30s i knew then everything could be the last and yep. guys that really in the since for social media and the internet and all that stuff it's advanced that even more you your last thing can be tomorrow easily yep. a lot quicker now um where we used to crave being able to connect with the fans especially on the business end i know i did marketing wise i wanted as much information from the retailers the fans the distributors as i could get to know how to sell the books that we had now you're you're getting more, too much information and a lot of that is still in that it's not just you suck this rules which when the internet and social media started that was the kind of comment you got now you get, uh, I saw where, you, you know, I know you beat your cat when you were 10 years old and I'm going to expose you on uh, mm -hmm. whatever when I decide to, uh, all because you didn't make the Scarlet Witch uh, do this in a book. I mean, it's, it's an over-exaggeration, but not by much. No, it's not by and, much. I don't think. You know, 
I mean, you can and, say and, cancel. You think you can say cancel culture on here? I mean, I. Uh, I know it, it's it's just more intense. People just being mean to each other, where you know you didn't used to have that. And I know it's not just comics; it's everything. I mean, it's everything you do. I'm sure guy working down at Burger King, you know, they're on a Burger King uh, Reddit site. That could happen. You know, you just never know. I, I that is the it stands for everything that I did not get into comics for comic. You all put it so aptly a while ago, you know, comic books bring so many people together. It's the common bond that brings people from all different lifestyles and places together. I mean, I am such good friends that have been for 35 years with so many people that are so different from me and comic books is the common bond that we can always talk at shorthand yeah. and, and, and discuss. And I love that aspect of it. I love the aspect that Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, Mike Barron, Walt Simonson, Tim Truman, guys like that stuck their hand out to me. They didn't have to. They didn't even have Robert Kaniger, who, you know, created Sergeant Rock, used to call me. I, I was member, I was the Sergeant Rock fan club president. So deemed by him in the letters column because I wrote so many letters. Murray Boltonoff, I would call Murray Boltonoff the editor every Wednesday. He said, Bo, call me on Wednesdays because on Wednesdays, Joe Kubert's in the office. And he goes, and you can talk to Joe. That's how I met Joe Kubert. So every Wednesday, I would call and talk to Murray about comics, this, that, and there. He would put Joe on and Joe would answer any questions I had. We would discuss things. And I wasn't in the business. You know, they didn't have to do that. Robert Kaniger called me from England once, telling me about his 100-page graphic novel of the Avengers that he was going to write. Of course, Joe's going to draw it. I mean, I haven't asked Joe, but Joe's going to draw it, of course. And he was going to make all the Avengers nude in this, except for their uh, avatar, you know, like Captain America's A, this, that, the other. And he, he, it was a long hour conversation, and it made you know metaphysical sense in what he was talking about with the storyline stuff but why you know <laughs> I, I why do that and that's above and beyond it's you know crazy. shooter talking to me at the uh the the marvel pool party they always had and stuff and we like you what you were talking about joe we just talked about boxing and things like that yeah didn't have to you know and and yeah a part of it is me being a fan and putting people on a little higher level, you know, because you admire them and stuff. But I, I was always pretty good about being able to rein, rein that in because, you know, uh, it just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that type of, uh, that pedestal can easily be knocked down. You want to know people, sometimes you, you don't want to know them all that well. You know, I want to continue to enjoy their work, whether they're, uh, rock star or this or that because music or the films and actors and directors that i have met even uh before our show and stuff because yeah. when i worked for todd we had the animated series we had the movie so uh -huh. you meet a lot of people and sometimes i found you don't want to you want to continue to enjoy their work so <laughs> you know i don't i don't want to meet you know and uh there's a uh you know you'd always want to meet in my age group you know always wanted to meet john wayne or jimmy stewart and things like that but uh you know that goes back to my real childhood but once i got about college age you find out yeah maybe i don't need to meet 
all of them because not all of them are going to be a Walt Simonson, a Mike Barron, a, uh, even a Robert Kaniger, who was quirky in a lot of his, his ways. But what a hell of a writer. His Sergeant Rock stuff, he was doing trend-setting social stuff then, long before anybody else was going, hey, you got to be more diverse. you got to add this in. I mean, I learned a lot reading, emotionally, reading his Sergeant Rock stories, just like with Stans. I had to have that dictionary beside me when I read a Stan Lee comic because he used words I didn't know and learned a lot. Yeah. Well, and I know we've been about an hour and 15 minutes and I know you're probably getting tired. So, uh, Chad, you got one more and James, you got one more. Yeah. I, I have Chad, you want to go? You want me to go? I'll make mine fast. Okay. And it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a silly question, but you did write one, uh, a, a, a short story for one of the most beloved heroes in star Wars canon, Boba Fett oh. in star Wars tales. Number seven, seven. I got to ask, uh, I have not read it, but I was reading the description of it, and it sounds amazing. I want to, I want to find this copy and read it. But how was it writing Boba Fett? And also, what do you think? They're, what do you think of the, the what they're doing with the character now? Because eh. <laughs> I, to answer your last question first, yeah, I like the Mandalorian a lot better. Oh yeah, than the Boba Fett because to me that's a. It's just a solid John Ford Western, almost. Uh, yeah, um, oh, exactly. It's 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 the Searchers. It's Stagecoach. Yes. is Al Green was. My, I mean, yeah, and, and, and then the Boba Fett, and then the Boba Fett series literally is Boba Fett standing around. Well, if the <laughs> it, Boba Fett series turned into the Mandalorian. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> it, 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 I wanted just my my small. I was I'm, I'm thankful always to see it, but yeah. I was hoping there would be. Um, I would have more of an emotional investment. I keep wanting, and it's bad when I, and I've done this since I was a kid. It's like when I watch Gilligan's Island lost in space and uh, the land of the giants as a little kid, uh-huh. I thought, and I, mean, I was a little kid, you know, I was fairly well adjusted. I said, Gilligan, Dr. Smith, and that, that big loudmouth guy, I, I want them to die. I want to, if I were the other members, I'd kill them. And because, you know, I don't have an emotional investment. They're a pain in the ass. They're, they're, they're dragging the story down. With Boba Fett, I was just hoping for more action. I got to be real honest with you. I wanted more action. I wanted him to be the Mandal. I, want, I wanted to be the Mandalorian on steroids. I really did. I wanted the reason why he was who he is to be, you know, I wanted a bigger Western. That's, that's the only way I can think of to describe it. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. I'm glad it's there, but I wanted a bigger Western. So that's the answer to the last question. Okay. My answer to the first one. Um, I have never, uh, I'd seen probably the first three to four Star Wars movies when they were in the theater. The rest I saw, you know, on television. Yeah. Boba Fett was always my wannabe favorite. I mean, I never, they never gave me enough in the movies. And again, when they this when I got the offer to do this, I said, "Yeah, yeah, I want, yeah, I'm ready." They just said, "You can kind of make it a little westerny if you want, you know, as far as taste, you know, and and stuff." I looked at it as I'll never get to do another one again. 
they're <laughs> they're going to find out that this is not the way they're going to kick me out and the editor warned me ahead of time lucasfilm at the time is really strict you'll probably have to do a few rewrites on this and stuff so you know and i expected that you know but it was my chance to uh, to not make fun of by any stretch of imagination but to add at that time ebay was big um so i was going to make that bit amount was what you know a new bounty hunter you bid this i added that i wanted the i wanted boba fett to talk more i wanted him to be likable again the guy gardener thing i wanted i said i'm got this small shot in here to make boba fett likable and the part and, and i had no problems with that got to do that the part i thought i was going to have a problem with was that he showing that he was married and had a child and right. that i waited for them to come down on me with a sledgehammer but and, and again sent that in the editor goes eh, i'm gonna send it in i hope it's gonna make it but i don't think it will Great. We like it. We really like the idea about him having a past, a wife and a daughter. We may even use part of that sometime. You know, and that they were just that was a short note. That made my day. I made no changes. I had no changes to do. And uh, my biggest thrill of doing that was I got to do a Boba Fett Western. But now, for whatever reason, you know, him having a daughter having a wife in the past has uh, rung some bells with some people and they, they like it. I haven't had anybody chew me out at a convention yet or yell at me for. Cause for, if anybody will chew you out, it's star Wars fans. <laughs> yep. I had none of that. You know, he's not Bruce Wayne, damn it. You know, that kind of a thing. So, but I love doing that and uh, would do it again in a million years. Uh, I would, I, I would love to do Chewbacca. That was always a, a favorite character of mine. Here goes everybody always say, "Oh, Bo, you'd like to do a Han Solo." I said, "No, nah, I like Chewbacca and Boba Fett the best. Those were, you know, Jabba the Hutt would have been great because I could have made that. Oh gosh, that would have been fun." But yeah, Jabba, uh, Jabba was mine as a kid, so I'll be completely oh, honest. He was so vile. He was yeah. great. Oh, he was great. Loved and it. and you know these guys, I was introduced to Star Wars: Return of the Jedi first. I didn't know that there was two other ones before that until later on. That was like my oh. that was my Star Wars movie for years. <laughs> I was like, so that's was a, like, that's good. That's good. That's <laughs> just, excellent. I do have to argue with you really quick before James asks his last question. Uh, Jonathan Harris is Mr. Smith, sir. That's the reason you turned into Lost in Space, tuned into Lost in Space. Well, with all the alliteration from Jonathan Harris as as Dr. I said, Dr. Mr. Smith, Dr. Smith. That's the reason I tuned Dr. in. Smith, how about yes. that? How that? You clinging, that's I just get too excited. No, you're, you're 100% right because of. You know, I watch the show all the time and I quoted him the most. Yeah. I mean, I even quoted him as a father when <laughs> Nick came home from school. Oh, the, the teacher, he didn't like me, blah, 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 blah. You got to go in and talk to him. So I went in to talk to the teacher and ended up, it, it, Nick was, you know, he wasn't doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. So right. came home, you know, how did it go and blah, blah, blah. What'd you say to him? I said, well, he told me this, this, this. Did you do that? Yeah, yeah, I did that. I go, what'd you tell him? 
I said, take the boy, spare me. <laughs> he, he just looked at me, he goes, because that's from that old show, isn't it? He said, indeed it is, my boy. Indeed it is. Bo. So, oh, my God, I'd end it there if James didn't have one last question. And, and by the way, te- and, and argue with Joe, tell him it sucks and then tell him how much you hate Alien. <laughs> that was a Peter David call. A, who was it? Uh, Peter David's like yeah, fuck that Peter, cat, right? Sorry, Peter David. Yeah, Peter yeah, David. I wouldn't go back to the alien. cat. I wouldn't have been have back never, the cat. That's the stupidest third act. I know we're calling oh, back Peter David, but that's one of the more happiest moments of my life. Is Peter David putting Joe in? No, Alien sucks. <laughs> Sorry. If you if you if you if you're able to see the rest of the basement, Bo, there's one sheets, and they're all original all the way through here. And over oh, there, my my precious ones are over there, and Aliens, one of them. So anyway, James. Oh. Well, I, I, by the way, you mentioned Gilligan earlier, and now all I want to see is Bo Smith presents the <laughs> mashup between uh, Lord of the Flies and Gilligan's Island. I want to see that hey. so bad now. That's my dream. So there you I've go. Been, I've been writing that in my head since I was a kid. So, yes, you would have seen it. <laughs> Gilligan are going to end up like Piggy. <laughs> uh that that being said actually just because you've talked so much about people that Talk had so an, much an, period an, well, but no talks about people that had an impact on you and and people that brought you in it's a cliche question but i want to ask it anyway because why wouldn't i um <laughs> knowing that we do have people that we encounter people and, and and we've interviewed authors and things like that and and different people with different backgrounds you talked about how you broke in. What advice would you give to somebody out there that goes, well, I have this idea, but how do I get that idea out there? What would you recommend people actually try to do? To, to, to be honest with you, uh, the, one of the first things, in fact, it's dated now because it was before um, the internet hit big, but I wrote a book called how, uh, No Guts, No Glory, How to Market Yourself. It's got blue collar, bare bones things to do, not do, and if you can exclude all the dated stuff from technology and time, find that in a dollar box sometime and read it. But the the first thing I could do, and I, I see it happen a lot, and, and I made sure I did not do that when I set out to get into comics. A lot of people want to be friends and think they're going to get work from writers and artists. And it, I can, you know, I can see the attraction, you know, that that makes sense. But they're not the ones that are going to hire or fire or pay you. Yeah. Um, my first thing was get to know the editors and assistant editors, because if you want to be a creator, a writer, and if you're talented enough to be an artist or both, definitely that's where you make your connections. Um, I, and in this modern times. Uh, emails are ignored. No one answers their phones, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Snail mail it could make a minor comeback for a person if they use that for contacts. Because I got to be honest with you, especially when I worked at McFarland, I would go to the post office because they don't deliver the mail. This town's so small. I would go to the post office to pick up my mail. And sometimes it wouldn't fit in the big box that I had. They would have to give it to me in bags. People writing because they could not get a hold of Todd, so they're getting a hold of Bo, the next best thing. And we found a lot of great artists and writers through just cold call mails because they mailed it in. That could work these days. It possibly could. A lot of people who have self-published their own books, that's your perfect pitch book to walk in with, too. That's something to hand somebody. But the thing is, everyone trying to get into comics 
thinks they're a writer. Not all of them think they're author. I mean, uh, artists, because you can see that right in front of you. But everybody, I don't care. Use me as an example. I was in sales and marketing, but uh, you know, I can be a writer. Uh, the guy in the mailroom, I can be a writer, and the, most of them can, maybe. But you've got to have something to say. They've got to have something to say. They can't do a villain and just start using Doctor Doom speak. You know, Doctor Doom is the only guy that talks like that. Why? Why does every? Why is the die cast now? And you know, Shakespearean stuff. But it's it have something to say. Um, know the editors. Uh, use snail. I mean, there's. Think of ways to market yourself. You're the product. Your talent. You, it is not going to get looked at until you can get your foot in the door. And again, I'm an introverted heart in the fact that I don't need a lot of people around me all the time. I like, you know, my short little group that I've got, of course, you know, at my age, they start croaking on you, but you just take the volume and, and turn it up a little bit. You're not becoming PT Barnum or anything, but you're, you're again, I got that lesson from Stan Lee. Stan wasn't like it all the time, but I'm sure he turned the volume up a little bit to do those things. And you got to market yourself, uh, you know, and I'm going to give you, a, 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 maybe it'll be more relatable, but like when we did Huntington Con. Yeah. And remember, Joe, I told you, oh, you know, you did, you did your homework. And I honestly meant that. I, and I was, that was a high compliment because to be honest with you, 35 years of doing it, I've been at more of them where they didn't. And, you know, well, both. here's the first question I get in those cases. Tell us a little about your career. Tell uh, us a little bit about yourself. And then I'm sitting You just going, went oh, in for a job too. interview. Yes. Yes. It's refreshing to have someone at least be able to, you know, ask the questions. And it's the same way if you put that in the editor, assistant editor's uh, viewpoint is what am I really bringing to offer them? Mm -hmm. um, I primed the pump, like I said, with letter hacks and doing this and doing that, S signing all four of my names. I mean, whatever, but it's whatever works for you and you, no one knows you better than yourself. Yeah. So what can I, what can I do to stand out amongst it? And nowadays the bombardment of people, you know, that are out there and, you know, true talent will always come out. You know, there, there's no doubt about it. If you've got something, uh, that bit will come. It really will. It'll even be in the rough stuff. I look back at, at things I wrote and did in 86, 87, and yeah, I, I cringe and just like anybody else does. But, uh, you know, there's it's why, it's why we sparks. can't listen to our podcast. <laughs> I'll tell listen. you this, guys, but when, when this is, you know, out and live and I see it, I'll probably get it through about five minutes and I always go, I can't stand to listen to my stump jumping voice anymore. Yeah. Man. No, you we know. don't listen to this either. Who would listen to this horseshit? <laughs> Especially the longer I go. I no, no, we loved it. Dude, we love having you, but we don't listen to ourselves either. Man, I, I can't thank you enough. What I want to say, I mean, I want I wanted your craziest Todd McFarlane story. I have oh, like I've got those. We didn't I, talk about Lobo. Yeah. We didn't do we any got, of that. Well, one day if I'm lucky, you guys can have me back and we'll. If you're we'll lucky, you mean if we're lucky, we're the lucky. You as I always say, you gave us the greatest gift you can ever give anyone. You gave us your time. 
No, I, I, I appreciate that. Because our time is seriously. finite, and, and it means the world to us that you took an hour and a half of your time to talk about. So we'd love to have you back on if you'd like to and, and yeah. talk about some of the oh, yeah. things eventually. Just let us know when. Uh, that's that's a, be no problem. I appreciate, Joe, you cosplaying me this evening. <laughs> the beard, it's the no, ball cap. No, if next time the horn ring glasses, and we'll, I appreciate that. Well, I've had 2020 up until two years ago, and now I noticed that I start um, picking things up, going, Why is it so dark when I read this? <laughs> Why do I need more light? Some oh, words, trust as far me. as they say from where I'm from in the holler, I need more light. <laughs> that Great. is the way. Okay, my there wife no and I more will light. tell you this real quick. My Please. wife and I were born five miles away from each other that's it i was in huntington she was in cerrito uh -huh. i talk like george plimpton compared to her beth beth if, okay if your name was mike tonight mike. we're gonna fight mike i'm not kidding i mike you know i it is and the best part was we landed in los angeles for the uh, uh winona earp premiere i mean that sounds so you know Hollywood. It's so we landed in Hollywood and we did, and the first plane hits, and you know, she's flown a million times, gone everywhere. Look at that big silver plane over there. That was the, and all these people turned around and looked at her. I said, Well, Minnie Pearl, you've made a lot of new friends just now. <laughs> but it did. I just had a look at that big silver bird over there. She's no, the best. It, it happens all the time. I totally get it. In fact, I got it at my work today. So, but anyway. <laughs> So we'd love to have you back on sometime and torture you for at least another hour about, I mean, we, we would love to just get into the, some of the McFarland stuff. And, and oh, that was a wonderful time period in my life. So I'd be glad to. Okay. Well, well, all right. So I'm going to stop recording now. This has been Bo Smith. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Grrrr. <sniffs>